Our title is Worship, The Doorway to Heaven. And what I want you to take away with you is this concept, this idea, this reality, the call of God upon your life in bringing heaven to earth. Not just up there, but bringing heaven to earth. And uh, that's the theme that I've developed in the series of questions that you can answer, practical questions, how to apply this to your life in the cell group ministry over the coming week. Beginning today, some cell groups meet today. And uh, I did email these out, or somebody did it on my behalf yesterday. And if you didn't get it, you should get it. And if you didn't get it, never mind. We've got hard copies for you today. And Gabriel will have them for the cell leaders. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. And really, the text goes right the way through to chapter 5. We can't quite read it all, but read a lot of it. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and the one sat on on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Now chapter 5 verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which was in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that is in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. In 2013, American singer and producer Pharrell Williams produced a song called The Happy Song. Do you remember it? And it went all over the world. It wasn't just successful in his version. He did it twice, made it part of albums and... It was just caught on. Such a happy song. It really was. Catchy tune, happy tune. Words leave a little bit to be desired. But it went right around the world. Different people, different cultures all sang the same song. It was almost as if the whole earth was joining in singing this song. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. Notice I'm saying it, not singing it. Sunshine, she's here, you can take away. I'm a hot air balloon. I could go to space with an air like, I don't care, baby, by the way, because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof, because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel happiness is the truth, because I'm happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you, because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Well, it was a happy song. But it pales into insignificance when we see this revelation of John, when he listens in on the original and eternal happy song of heaven. The story goes, John, the great aged apostle, around around about the year AD 90, was taken, arrested, and sent into a work camp on the Isle of Patmos, hard labor. There at the end of his life, his mature life, remember this is the disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning not only that he was close to Jesus, but that he defined himself by the love of Jesus. The great apostle of love receives this revelation. A door is opened. And as he goes through the door, he has sudden supernatural access to the sights, the sounds, and the aromas of heaven. Have you ever wondered what heaven smells like? Sometimes in spiritual manifestations, people actually can smell a fragrance. But the fragrance of heaven is real and tangible. And we picked it up from such things as the bowls of incense, which were like the, the prayers of the, of the saints, and that beautiful fragrant offering of prayer and of praise and worship. And at the center of, the, of, the, of heaven is focused on, on Jesus the Lamb of God who gave himself as, a, as an offering, a fragrant offering to God. Oh yes, heaven has a fragrance. This was a marvelous vision. It seems that the whole atmosphere, the whole environment of heaven was geared up for one thing. 
with its atmosphere of zero resistance to all things truly spiritual, with its total revelation of the glory of God, it seems that that atmosphere, that environment, draws out of every single person, men, women, angelic beings, living creatures, in the sea, under the sea, <laughs> on the earth, under the earth, all living creatures are drawn in this atmosphere of heaven to pure, unrestrained, and compelling worship. We notice that worship is continual. The revelation that John has, he finds it difficult to put into words. Do you see how often he uses the word like? It was like this. It was like that. There was an, a rainbow, but it was like an emerald. He is struggling to put into words the heavenly vision and gives us this evocative picture of heaven. And at the center of it is, is God's throne. And that's not just a place of status. It's an actual ruling authority. Reminding us that God is in charge and God's will is done fully in heaven. And from there, especially since the coming of Jesus, God's kingdom is influencing the earth. In other words, God's kingdom has come. And the environment of heaven recognizes who is on that throne. And then we see Jesus, who is the centerpiece of all of heaven, as the Lamb of God who died and lives forever. Many Bible scholars teach us that worship is really worthship. In other words, when you recognize the true worth, the true value of some, something or someone, you're able to appreciate it. And in heaven, God can be fully appreciated because we see him as he really is. We see him for his true worth. And if only we could have a bit of that reflected into our life on earth before we see God but know him by faith and give him all that he's worth and worship him truly and fully then our lives would be positively impact, impacted. After all what you truly value in some way describes you. What you truly value also in some way defines you. You begin to resemble what you worship. There is a story, a play by Oscar Wilde, the picture of Dorian Gray. I don't know if you remember that story. Some of you may have studied it uh, for, for GS, GS, GCSE. And um, Oscar Wilde tells the story of a man called Dorian Gray. He was a young man, very beautiful young man, very trendy young man who wanted to live for all the good things, the pleasurable things, the joyful things of this earth. And there was some kind of pact going on there with the powers, spiritual powers. And uh, he, he, he was able to keep the appearance of perpetual youth. Now, you see, I've made no pact, but I'm managing to do something of the same, as you, as you, as you can see. But anyway, let's, let's get back to Dorian Gray. Now, what, we, what he was living, a dissolute life, a life of pleasure, a life of hedonism, uh, very, very immoral, if not amoral, but it didn't affect him. And we can look around and see experiences of people, the kind of life we live can end up showing on our faces, in our bodies, the marks of that. Certainly in our soul, in our mentality, emotional life, and, and sin has that kind of effect. It 
dehumanizes you, but the pact meant that he would stay fresh, he would stay eternally young when everybody else was growing old, but upstairs in the attic, there was a picture, a portrait of Dorian Gray. And the portrait carried the true marks, not just of the aging process, but the corruption of his soul was pictured in the picture. So the picture was growing more and more old and ugly and decrepit. But Dorian Gray in his flesh, until the final scenes, is able to escape that. So this shows you there is no escape, ultimately, from the life we live, what we value, what we worship, actually shapes our lives. Therefore, I put it to you that one of the greatest needs of the hour is a revelation of the true worth of God himself and the unhindered torrent of praise and worship and adoration that flows from it. God is never more fully recognized as God when you worship him with all of your heart. And you will never recognize yourself as more fully human in all the dignity of the image of God that he's implanted within you than when you worship God. Worship is a doorway to heaven. It's a double door, by the way. It's not just that we go through that door to touch God, but that's the very same access point through which God touches you. And touches the earth. And this as we see from the reading we, we, we had. Is God's ultimate purpose. This kind of reconciled two way relationship between God and all his creation. Of course us as the chief of his creation. But we saw all of God's creation reconciled and worshipping him and praising him. The whole purpose and plan of God's rescue operation which he accomplished in the gospel, through the gospel, through Jesus, is that he could become one in union and communion with all his creation. And all that that implies, the renewal of all things. It's a big plan, and it touches more than our dying and going to heaven. As we shall see, yes, knowing where you're going when you're gone is a very important plank of the gospel platform. But it's not the whole story and it's not the end game. Something bigger than that is happening. It's about heaven coming down to earth and God making all things new. It's about God manifesting his glory that one day will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's about God making his dwelling place with us and restoring the earth to its original purpose to be a reflection of God's greatness, of God's goodness, and of his glory. But there is a problem, a big problem. We tend to think of heaven wrongly as being way, way up there, far away, far removed from the earth. We have in Swahili a word which, especially if your vocabulary is limited like mine is, I was born in Kenya, a word that we use for being close by, being further away or very far away, it's the word uku. So if I said uku, you mean it's just, just over there. If I said uku, you know, it's, it's way over there. If I say uku, it's way over there. <laughs> and when we talk about heaven, we say uku. <laughs> so far removed from the earth, a spiritualized existence has almost nothing to do with life down 
here. Now this problem, this concept, leads to a lot of confusion and actually we give people who disbelieve in God a rod to beat us with. Like the first Russian cosmonaut, cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, a Russian-Soviet pilot and cosmonaut, the first man to journey into outer space way back in April 1961. And it was reported that when he came back to the planet, he said, well, I went up there and I didn't see God. In fact, when you look deeper into the story, it's in all probability he actually never said that. He himself was a believing person. He was baptized into the Orthodox Church as a child. And uh, he, he uh, shortly after the space flight, he baptized his elder daughter and he celebrated Christmas, Easter, kept icons in his house. So where did that come from? They tell us that it was the Russian president at the time, Khrushchev, who made a speech about the Russian policy of anti-religion. And apparently he said, Gregorin went into space and didn't see God. Well, what did he expect? What did he expect? That God is somehow above Pluto or Mars? And we know some of the deep probes and the photographs we have go way, 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 way into the far reaches of space. And you will never go high enough in this earthly scenario or in this current physical time-space continuum that we call our universe ever to discover God. You know, the Bible uses languages up there and all, all that, but that's metaphorical. We should think of heaven far closer to us than that. Yes, it is a different domain. It's a different realm. It's outside of our normal vision and sight and sense data. And it's about a time-space continuum, Earth is, and heaven is, is different from that. I'm not sure this is strictly accurate, but I find it helpful to think of heaven as being more of a different dimension. And if our eyes were open, we could see heaven right now. In fact, heaven is all around you. And I think Paul touches on this when he is lecturing to the intellectuals of Athens, saying that God is not far from you. And he quotes one of their own Stoic poets to back this up, saying, in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. He's not just talking to Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christians. He's talking to everyday men and women of the world. And so it's a very good thing to think about when you are witnessing to your friends, heaven is not far away. Jesus reminded us of this. His first sermon, do you remember that? He says, the time is fulfilled. It's a new season. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means close by. You can reach out and grab it. You can reach out and touch it. And you can reach out and bring handfuls of it back into this earth. Of course, to qualify for that, you need to repent and believe, as Jesus said. So I think heaven and earth are never far from each other. All it took was a door to be opened, a veil to be lifted, and John could see it, hear it, all. So heaven is around us all the time. We can think of heaven and earth separate but overlapping, intersecting, two different forms of reality, different yet connected. 
A good picture of this I read recently is of a semi-detached house. Now, I live in a semi-detached house, and I've often eyed the neighbor's side of the other side of this attachment and, uh, and the garden, and uh, just wonder in a few realms of crazy fantasy what it would be like to purchase the other side of the house. We live in a really, really big environment. And uh, this is a picture, picture a two semi-detached house, and, and there is a partition. You can't just walk straight through and listen to, and speak to the neighbors. And so, originally, heaven and earth were side by side, and, and, and there was no barrier. God came down and fellowship with humanity, but of course we know that we turned our back upon God, and that wall came. Heaven and earth were separated, still close by, but separated. But when Jesus came, he opened the door to heaven. And that door is never going to be shut. It's going to be widened and widened and widened until one day the whole partition will be taken down and there'll be one house, heaven and earth together. That's the future that we are looking forward to. So that's a constant picture in the Bible. God coming down, of course, supremely in the person of Jesus, God manifested in the flesh. And we read through these verses carefully, Revelation 4 and 5, and indeed right the way through Revelation 21 and so on, we read about God and man dwelling together, heaven coming down to earth. So there are many, many ways open to us to reach out and touch heaven. Many, many ways of going through a door to experience heaven, even now. Of course, we don't experience in all its fullness, but right now, do you know that heaven is in your heart? Sounds like a very simplistic thing to say. We used to have this song, heaven is in my heart, whoa, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And it's true, because Jesus has come to live in your life by his Holy Spirit. And heaven, therefore, is in you if you've invited Jesus Christ into your life. Now that's fundamental. Interesting to think about this, wherever you go, heaven goes as well. Then there are many other ways in which heaven intersects the earth and you'll recognize each of these different aspects of Christian life and faith and practice and discipline. Water baptism is heaven touching the earth. Water baptism is not just a wet witness. It's a powerful spiritual encounter in which God acts to seal in your life everything that is promised in the gospel. That's what we call the ordinance of Christian initiation. If you're not water baptized, I encourage you to get hold of somebody who's wearing a badge today and find out about it. Communion, which we celebrated last week, is another way. You take the bread and the wine, it remains bread and wine, but it's a meeting place. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's not a mere memorial service, it's a powerful reminder, both to you and to God, that when he sees the bread, he sees the wine, he acts to fulfill his covenant promise, and everything represented in the bread and wine is yours by faith as heaven touches your life. Christian fellowship is another way where of a door into heaven. Do you know when you fellowship together, it's an open door for the powers and authority of heaven to touch your life. 
If you look at your brother or your sister, look closely enough, you'll see Jesus shining out of their eyes. And uh, that's, that's what Christian fellowship is about. Uh, unfortunately, having fellowship with the back of somebody's head here and now, and the only one you can see is me, but that's how we set up for these larger services. But in the small group fellowships, the cell groups, you are seated often in a circle, you can gaze at one another's eyes, and, and we encourage you to have spiritual conversation in which you reach out and connect with your brother and your sister. And as you do that, Christ will shine back to you in the connection of Christ in them and Christ in you is a connection of a release of power and heaven comes more fully into your life. That's why you should never neglect Christian fellowship. That's why every single one of us should be part of a small cell group fellowship. Christian service is another way. And all these are obvious, but Christian service is an extremely obvious way in which heaven reveals itself and God reveals himself. When you serve sacrificially, caring for the needs of the poor, helping the lost and the lonely and the hurting and the broken, and you serve in a spirit of servanthood just as Jesus served, God's glory is seen perhaps there in no other way. And that kind of revelation the world is more open to than almost anything else. We can think of the word of God. God breathed scripture. When you open the scripture, it's charged with the fullness of God and the revelation of God. As you break open the word of God and the spirit illuminates your mind and understanding, you are fellowshipping with heaven and heaven is coming. Christian prayer is not only a means of touching heaven, but of heaven touching the earth. As Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored, may your will be done, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and our subject today worship worship is a door through which you enter it's a two way door you go through to touch God and God comes through that very same door to touch you so first of all as you worship it is a doorway through which you can go to meet with God and experience God I don't just mean intellectual reflection as significant as that is love God with your mind but also through the spirit of worship the Holy Spirit to experience God we touched worship earlier on I'm going to try and make sure we have enough time to go back again before the throne of God and worship him that much more fully before we finish today so one of one of the main ways we encounter God is through worship and and this is not about a solo performance. Now it's very important that you make full access of the secret place of your soul and withdraw from society and fellowship and everything to be alone with God. That's another message, another sermon. If that's what you do, it's good. But if that's all that you do, you're missing something. Worship is about participating corporately in the worshiping community. God promises to meet you in the secret place, but he also promises to meet you in community. And that's why we have a strong emphasis on building community, and the church community should be a model for the community out there. All different nations and races coming together, and Kensington Temple is a touch of heaven on earth, 
where we have last count, we should count them again, this is years old now, 119 different nationalities, if you include England, Scotland and Wales, and certainly Scotland would like to be a nation, so there we go. Uh, and, uh, and it's the most multicultural international congregation I've ever yet met. That reflects our location here in London. But it's so important to know that as we join together, we find our true reason for being in community. You'll find in Revival Times an article talking about a radical consensus, which sounds like a very complicated word. It's a political move, a new political move. We're going to participate in it. And the reason we can participate in it is it's right in line with the gospel and it is not limited to any one political party. It's a new political emphasis that is coming out. We're hearing about it. We are going to participate in it in which all of our politics is based on relationship. It's based on bringing people together. And we can do that whatever political party we are personally involved in. It's about relationship. It's about community. And if that catches on in the outside wider world, you will be astonished at how much influence we'll be able to have because we are the archetypal blueprint of relational community. So every time we develop that, we're becoming more and more qualified to be who we are, to be who we created to be. That's the first thing that we can notice about worship. The second thing is this. As we go through that door, we join in the music of heaven. Join in the music of heaven. And by music, I don't just mean the melody or the harmony. I also mean the lyrics. We don't have the harmony or melody recorded here. We do have the lyrics. And there are at least two basic songs. All the categories of all the worship life of heaven can be put under one of two categories. The song of creation and the song of rescue. And the two songs are together because the creation that has fallen into ruin is going to be rescued by God. And so all heaven declares the glory of God's name. And when you do that, you begin to appreciate God's nature and character of a revelation of who he is. The first great song that we read in Revelation 4 verse 8 is about this. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then again, Revelation 4 verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Now there is a lot of controversy today because secularists and atheists want to put God right out of the picture and say, no, 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 this happened only through natural processes and uh, we could discuss that and show how unreasonable it is from a rational point of view to think that this universe came out of nothing. And even those who teach that and actually go so far as to say that, they redefine nothing in order to have their point of view. I heard Richard Dawkins on one occasion pressed by a Christian debater into making a statement, well, perhaps, maybe in the very, very beginning, something started this all off. But that kind of God, if he exists at all, he, she, or it, if that kind of God exists at all, he, he, he just set it all in motion. 
not involved at all in anything that's happening and totally irrelevant. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. Not only did God create all things, but it says, by your will, they exist and were created. Can you see the distinction? Created, past tense, tense, exist, present tense. The Bible says God upholds the universe. And that means he is very especially present in it and cares so much about it. And so when we are singing that first song of creation, we're saying all that I am, all that I have exists for you. And my mission on this earth is to share that message by living it and declaring it. And then we have the second song, Revelation 5.13. It says, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying. I'll come back to that point. Can you see how comprehensive it is? There is not one living creature that's excluded from God's plan and purpose. But here is the song, the new song. Not just the song of creation, but the song of rescue. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The Lamb. There is God's redemptive self-sacrifice that brings us back into his plan, brings us back to his process. And this song, and every time you worship, this is what you're declaring. We're saying all of this, including me, belongs to you. And one day, all of this, with all its hurt and pain and heartache and suffering, is going to be rescued and remade and restored, brought back to its original glorious plan. And so the God who is all-powerful and all-loving will, out of his love and out of his power, make everything new. In his time, in his way. I'm not saying that solves the problem of suffering. We still have to go through with it. But at least we know that the God who declares that there shall be an end of all suffering has himself in the person of Jesus Christ taken upon himself. Untold, unfathomable and completely un, with beyond understanding the suffering that he endured. So, when we worship God, we have access into his presence whereby we experience him and he touches our lives. Whereby we join in the song, both the words and the music of heaven. But as a result of that, this third thing that comes out of it, when we do that, worship will enable us to line up with God's purposes. We become part of the music. Part of the words. In fact, we become the music. God is playing his music through us. We become the words. We, we are caught up into the very story of God. That's when you line up with heaven what it's all about. When your mind, your heart, your deepest being is awakened to the answer of the deepest longings of your heart. The music and the text come together and the meaning and the harmony of all things 
make sense to you. And you join in with all creation, all creatures great and small, and anticipate the day when the whole universe will be renewed and all things will be made right, all things made new. And then you accept that invitation, indeed that command and commission, to join in this whole process, to take your part as an agent of these new things, to reflect his glory into your little bit of the earth, to proclaim his kingdom and demonstrate it into the world. So far from the whole story being, it's all about getting saved, dying and going to heaven. In other words, leaving the earth to what? To rot? Leaving the earth to Antichrist or the devil or whatever? No, 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 no. Heaven, as one famous theologian says these days, heaven is serious business. But don't worry, it's not the end of the world. There is life after, life after death. And I'll show it to you in a moment, which you haven't already seen it. What that means is this. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, he meant it. When we die, we do go to be with God in heaven. But the place where he is prepared, the Greek word for that, is not a permanent residence. It's a temporary residence, rather like a wayside inn. It is a waiting place. And the glorious climax will not just be when we meet Jesus in heaven, is when we return to rule and reign over the earth and the kingdom of God will have come fully on the earth. Heaven is coming down to earth. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. We're finished with this. Musicians and singers, please come back. And they sang a new song, saying, Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign, where? On the earth. That's the climax of everything. And so when we worship God, we access his presence, we experience him. We join in the music and the worship of heaven, singing the accurate words, reflecting and proclaiming God's great plans and purposes, and even doing it in such a way anticipates their fulfillment, but then from that very place we are sent out into the world to be his representatives. Now, if you could just step aside from the screen just for a moment. See this picture on the screen? I was given two choices from the designer who designs these background screens. And I like this one because it speaks so much of what I've been talking about. There's a door into heaven and, and we enter into that. But there was a second picture, which I also liked. So I'm going to use it as well. Two pictures today. And the second picture is the other side of the coin. It's heaven itself breaking into the earth. And there for this sunset scene over London... I want you to begin to imagine the more heaven comes into your life, the more heaven comes into London life. more heaven comes into your life, the more heaven comes into your family, into your cell group, into your community. And what does that mean? This is a church of workers, not shuckers. Heaven is not escaping the world. 
Thank you. You can come back. Heaven isn't keep your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. Things on earth will go strangely dim. You get lost in love, wonder, and praise. That expresses a truth. But the other side, the flip side of that is the more heaven is in your soul, the more you experience God, the more you are changed and transformed and the more you are commissioned and recommissioned to reflect the outworking of your own worship life into your daily life, your work life. So as we come to the end of this message, you see we've left a significant amount of time What I want us to be able to do is to go back to worship. We usually sing some worship, often more praisey songs. But I want us just to stand right now. Everybody, would you do that? And the singers and musicians are going to lead us into worship. Now, I want you to imagine that scene of heaven because when we're worshiping on the earth, we're connecting with what's going on in heaven. That's a great releasing key to worship. But remember, as you see God for all his worth, you're going to give him all the praise for all your worth. You're going to do it. So let's put aside all distractions. Focus not on our needs, but on his glory. And enter as deeply into worship as we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit as he enables us today. Then we'll come back as we close the service. Above all these